Welcome film industry professionals, movie aficionados, and aspiring filmmakers. This is the Cinema Pathway Podcast, brought to you by Paradoxical Films. I'm your host, Howard Brand. Join us on a journey behind the camera, and most importantly, beyond what we know about film and the craft of filmmaking. So sit tight, grab some popcorn and soda, and let's go ride on Cinema Pathway. Hello to our listeners and welcome to the Cinema Pathway podcast. The late great Stanley Kubrick once said, if it can be written or thought, it can be filmed. A lot of people are able to think about things and picture it in their head, but it's an entirely different animal to actually be able to turn those things into words. Everything you see on a screen, a movie, a TV show, a commercial, uh, and anything in between started with a script. Different mediums lend themselves to different types of scripts, uh, but today we're going to talk about screenwriting. We're joined by a very talented screenwriter. I am happy to welcome Rolando Vinas to the show. Rolando, welcome. Thank you for having me. Rolando, let's start off learning a little bit about you. Uh, you are a native Floridian, unlike me and many others who are transplanted here. Uh, your interests are a thriller and horror. Can you share with us what drew you to writing? Where, how and where did it all start? Well, I enjoy both thriller and horror. Uh, the genre that I specialize in are thrillers. Uh, secondary is horror. I want to say I started uh, in high school. I was introduced to the screenwriting. My cinematography teacher in 11th grade, she showed us how to do it. And we wound up uh, winning a competition that took us to Orlando, to Universal Studios. And so, so you had cinematography in high school. Wow. What was that like? It was mostly watching a lot of old films <laughs> and, uh, and studying them. Uh, but she also went through the process of, you know, setting up your camera and, uh, and the lighting. And yeah, it was very uh, uh, informative. A recurring theme on a podcast is, you know, education. You know, we want to educate our listeners on, you know, the craft of filmmaking, everything relates to. And uh, it's nice to hear about high schools and that better starting off. You know, a lot of a lot of people, the first time they're ever exposed to anything like that is, uh, is in, in film school or that, or just pick it up later in life. So you had the cinematography and, and you said you won a competition? Yeah, it was um, like JVC at the time. Uh, they sponsored a, um, a uh, contest that took us to Universal Studios and then we were able to film on the lot. Oh, wow. But yeah, that was kind of interesting. What was that like? Really uh, is inspiring. Yeah. Uh, you know, especially as a kid, you, you just see, you know, how these backdrops are set up and uh, it just... And we were able to utilize a, a lot of the the sets that they had there. That out and about, uh, so it was great. It was wonderful. That's amazing. I remember you know, when I was younger, trip to California, Universal Studios. I think it was like eleven or twelve, and just still mind blowing. Everything, even just riding. You know, you saw the uh, saw the parting of of the Red Sea from the Ten Commandments. Jaws comes up. You see the Bates Motel on there. Just really fascinating stuff. Um, so growing up, uh, obviously, it sounds like you were a movie fan. What were some of your uh, inspirations? Well, first off, I want to say I was one of those kids that would get dropped off at the movie theater on the weekends and I would watch three, four movies a day and then I would get picked up by my parents and then that's it. So that, the movie theater was my babysitter. I mean, I enjoyed horror, uh, but thrillers were the ones that really uh, grabbed me. And uh, But even then at the time, there were a lot of um, films. I felt the 90s had a lot of uh, great films. You had Pulp Fiction and you had uh, Reservoir Dogs. And so Quentin Tarantino was... Uh, the type of writer director that I think a lot of filmmakers were in awe of. Yeah, the 90s was the uh, independent film, the reconnaissance, and let's talk about somebody else. Growing up, I go all the way back to like the first Friday the 13th, Exorcist, um, and it's thrillers and horrors. There's such an interesting genre because yeah, the slasher films, it's the shock content, but then just the psychological ones that you don't see an ounce of blood and you're still scared to death. Now, keeping in mind that at the time when I was starting to write, I didn't know what my genre was. I just knew I loved movies. I mean, love movies to the point that I would collect the ticket stubs and my wallet would be fat. It would be hundreds and hundreds of ticket stubs and it, it was like trading cards to me. I would pull them out from my friends. I'm like, oh, I watched this one. I watched this one and that one. And they just thought it was weird. Uh, but uh, I mean, it took a, a while to figure out what my genre was. Because right. usually, uh, I guess I want to say writers, maybe when they're starting off, they tend to maybe go like lean drama. 
because dramas, it's not that it's an easy genre, but it's one that we can grasp. It's a tried and true formula to follow. Exactly. And so it took a few years of me trying to write different types of uh, scripts before I landed on Thriller. Do you remember the first movie you ever saw in the theater? E.T. 1982. And I remember the movie theater, which is no, it no longer exists. Because at the time it was, uh, there, there were only, um, there were theaters that were like two plexes mm-hmm. or four plexes. That's it. I mean, they were fairly small. But it's funny how movie theaters have grown because I actually, I managed movie theaters for 16 years. You know, so when I was a teenager, I'd started working on there. So 16 years of just watching free movies, of course, it's great. But you've seen the evolution of the movie theater going from small to really large. And now they're shrinking again. And you had a chance to go from uh, film to digital projection? Or was it all film? Actually worked the projectors. Film. It was, uh, they would be on these large platters because we would have to put them together. So on Thursday, the cans would arrive uh, in the morning. And then what we would do is just with the, um, I forget the, the name of the machine, but it would be in reels. So there would be, let's say five or six reels. And we would have to put them on a big platter. So it would be this massive donut of a film and then you, you just feed it in through the projector onto an empty platter and as it's running through it's winding back up again so it's just one projector yeah just one projector because remember there was a time where you had to have two or and you had to like switch projectors correct it had to be two because you had to swap back and forth for you know for it to continue they they hadn't figured out yet how to put it all in one platter right both the uh, inglorious bastards Includes that and uh, Fight Club, I think, as as alludes to that. You know what? I yeah, it does, right? But I was also thinking, you know, there were times when the movie was so long that we were worried that the film was going to fall off the platter because it was just so heavy, and sometimes we'd have to carry them, and it, it would take two people, and and there were some accidents where, you know, they would just fall over, and all this film would go on the floor, and we'd have to spend five or six hours trying to wind everything back up. It was just a mess. So uh, I'm sure the projectionists now are, I mean, there are no projectionists now because everything is digital and everything happens on its own. But do you recall, and you know, a lot of the bit, you know, back in the day before the internet and even now, a lot of the blockbusters would be shipped under fake names of the movies and different there things. Times, yes. Any, any interesting ones you can recall? No, they would be like uh, some nonsense name. It nothing to do with, let's say if it was Spider-Man or something, you know. I think I read Jaws was shipped under the name bruce yeah it's always something yeah 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 Yeah, because they're the thing is that the 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 worry was i mean they they were being shipped by uh ups or fedex i mean imagine a driver deciding to steal some cans you know were you working at the theater when uh empire strikes back no 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 that that was uh, i was a little kid (laughs) i was uh i know i know look a little older than what i am but uh, no yeah it's uh i know a guy he was working there when it came out and he would uh went to line of people outside if they were getting rowdy and obnoxious he would uh he spoil it for them awful kid yeah i saw i actually started a week prior to jurassic park the first oh wow okay yeah and uh that was crazy yeah a lot long 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 lines i mean just and looking back on it now like it looks dated but i mean still at the time just mind-blowing so when you started writing, did you jump right into like screenwriting? Did you do other types? Did you do creative writing or story, just I, plain story writing? I actually tried my very best to adapt a Stephen King novel. I think it was The Langoliers. At the time, I didn't have a laptop, no screenwriting software. I had no idea what I was doing. I was a kid, you know, and uh, failed miserably. I stopped because I just did. I had no clue where where things were going with that. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Just with writing, it's just... Um, it's very scary when you don't know what you're doing. It's very intimidating uh, because you just see that um, that you're having, having to come up with these ideas and you're having to put it down on the page. If you don't understand the craft, it's even more, more uh, scary for sure. I have a similar story. I tried writing an adaptation of a book when I was in high school. I think the library maybe had, had a book on screenwriting. You know, no idea about format and all this stuff. And I wrote it on the old... Uh, like the Smith Corona portable word processor. It's long gone. And, you know, obviously, you know, as you get older, you realize, you know, the difference between books and movies and plays and how they're written differently. Yeah, but I remember the there was a software. I was able to get my hands on the software called Scriptware. And I think it came prior to Final Draft. But it was very rudimentary. It wasn't very, it was helpful, but I still didn't know what I was doing. So that didn't help. 
before 11th grade, which sounded like, you know, really your first foray, were you creative or into the arts like oh. as, as a kid besides movies? I was uh, subpar at sports. Uh, I had glasses. So, you know, getting picked on and stuff was a normal thing. Creativity, totally. Ever since I was a little kid, I always want to do something in the creative arts. And then once you started, you know, getting into the craft, were there any screenwriters in particular that you really followed? You really... Um... No, because at the time I had no idea that it was even, even as a kid, I was like, it's like I knew people had to write, but I had no access to a script. I had no idea where to even begin. I kind of imagine, oh, okay, I guess it's like a play. So plays, I think, are I think at the time were just a little bit easier to find. Right. And my sister, she was a muse in theater, so I had seen what some plays looked like. So I just figured, ah, it's something like this, I guess. I came up through the theater side, and you know, it's like, oh, it's easy to film a play. You just you know, set the camera up, and it's just they're set up so differently. And so many things in, in writing. So then, you know, after high school, what what was your journey like? You know, really get you know, you managed a movie theater, but then when did you finally start getting screenplays purchased or made into films or you know, really get your foot in the door? No, I just I wrote uh and wrote and wrote along the way. Would be little groups here and there to try to see if we can film some things, but it never got to that point where I met professionals in the industry to be able to sell these scripts to or get them optioned. I don't know. I, I have to say that all those scripts, I just view as learning scripts. They were just scripts for me to just try to figure out my voice and figure out what it is that I wanted to do as a writer. Yeah. And you know, other times where it just comes in, you just start writing and you're writing before you know you've written a hundred pages. And are there times where you just stare at a screen for six hours and you've literally just written, written like one? Are you, are you talking about the process? Just, like my just, process? In general, just over, over oh. the years. Yeah. I mean, now I know better. At the time I would write, but I would just get stuck. And it's usually happens around page 30. <laughs> right at the end of the first act. Yeah, exactly. It's like, okay, like the first act is a breeze. You're, you know, you're firing on all cylinders. And then all of a sudden, you you know, I would get stuck. Now I know why. Uh, and that's because I didn't know my characters, you know. And it, I mean, if you don't know your characters well enough, you have no idea where they're going. Now I take a more systematic approach where I outline. So I know... I know everything that's going to happen for the most part. Although I, I'm flexible with the outline, it's not etched in stone, you know, but that is very helpful. Uh, now, mind you, that's just my process. That doesn't mean it has to be yours. There are writers out there who just write and they love the the process of discovery um, and trying to figure things out along the way. Um, I'd rather not do that, especially when I'm dealing with, uh, you know, when you get hired by a producer, producers usually want to see what you're going going to do where are you taking this um because they're paying you did you ever have a uh like an aha moment like ah now i get it now i know how i'm supposed to be writing things kind of i i think with every script you um you become a little more comfortable i'd say usually it takes about 10 years of writing Meaning if you consistently write. 10,000 hours. Uh, you know, where you're putting out these scripts and and you start realizing, okay, I think I I think I think know what my writing style is. I attended Screenwriting U, which is a great program. Uh, and there I was able to hone in my craft and just elevate it. Can you talk about what Screenwriting U is? Uh, well, they have different uh, programs, but uh, the one I took was the Pro Series and their Master Writer program. And that was uh, about three to four years of just intensive writing you're you're writing all these scripts and uh but most importantly well i mean you learn the craft yes how to incorporate all the different tools that a writer has uh but also how to market the scripts uh, effectively right writing scripts is fun but scripts just becoming shelfware really de defeats the purpose well well what happens is is that if you don't market them nobody will read them but i find also that there are writers who become very bitter they're like, oh, nobody wants to read what I have and nobody cares. And and usually it's because there's something that is missing, not just with the writing, but their understanding of the business. And that lack of understanding is preventing them from making an impression on a producer who has a host 
of things that they need to think about before they decide to move forward with a script. Do you ever go back to scripts you've written in the past and rewritten them? I mean, I'm sure everyone makes minor tweaks, but just really like drastically have reworked stuff. You know, some of the earlier stuff, I just, uh, just going back to the term learning scripts, that's what they were. I would only invest in them if I felt that the concept was strong and was sellable. If not, I, I wouldn't work on them because that wouldn't be a good use of my time. And one of the things we, we, we talk a lot about on a podcast is just the importance of story. You know, that's the foundation for it all. Again, whether it's a movie, a commercial, a lot of us have said that, you know, today's world, you know, sometimes the story has been sacrificed for the spectacle. And as you watch, let's say 21st century movies, movies that are there ones that stand out to you as like, this is a really great story. And one, you know, or others, where it's like, yeah, it's enjoyable, but the story was non-existent. I feel that now more than ever, there's more content than there's ever been, which makes it very difficult because we only have so much time to invest in that content. And so you have to be very selective. And even then, I'll be honest with you, I probably will not waste my time on a movie that is rated poorly. (laughs) I'm sorry, because I have... I have things I got to do. You know, I don't have time to be wasting uh, on bad movies. Uh, What do you use? uh, Which uh, ratings do you use to? I'll I'll usually uh, I'll look at uh, Letterboxd. I'll look at Rotten Tomatoes. I'll I'll look at a few just to kind of get a general sense of whether this. I mean, if if it's below a five, I'm not going to waste my time. I mean, that. and, And again, it might. Some people may like those movies and they have plenty of time to watch those bad movies. I just don't have that time. I grew up in the days of Siskel and Ebert. Ebert alone would like make or break a movie. I mean, if Ebert gave you two stars or one and a half stars, you may as well just like pack it in now. And again, if it was a you know smaller movie that got four, like I, th- like I think he was a, um, there was some like lower, I don't, I don't know if it was a Tarantino one, but something and that, and just uh, there's no one or nothing today that really has that much influence as, as a critic, as a as a singular critic. Well, I think Rene Rodriguez, he used to be the movie critic for the Miami Herald years ago, and he stopped doing it because, I don't know, I'm, he, I think now he writes for real estate like real estate uh, articles. I mean, I could be wrong about that, but last time I checked, uh, and I think he saw the tea leaves. He he said, okay, well, my influence here is waning. Let me just move to something else. But, but you know what? We have data. I mean, should I put my trust in one critic or let's say 2,000 or 3,000 people who have watched the same movie? At some point, the, it's going to average out and you're going to get a number. And, that, and, and the way I see it is, let's just say that the average moviegoer, the average is a five. Okay, well... Maybe at its best, it's a six. At its worst, maybe it's a four. But it's going to be in that general vicinity. I don't know. I, I But even then, I, I'm going to have my own opinion on it. Yeah. So that's all I really care about. Very interesting perspective. I've never thought about things like that. As, as more, you know, it's, it's aggregate data from people as opposed to- I love data. One person. The numbers don't lie. It tells you everything. You, people can maybe buy reviews and skew that number. But you would have to buy a lot- to really shift an entire star rating or rating up one. I mean, you have to spend an ungodly amount of money to try to manipulate just to get a rating to be positive. So I'm cynical, but that, that's cynical. At the end of the day, if, if a lot of people watch a movie, that's like uh, Black Adam, right? The critics panned it. They hated it. But yet the fans watched it and they loved it. It was entertaining. You know, it's a, I didn't hate it. The critics did, you know, to me with these things, you just, you see them for what they are. Sometimes people want to project onto the movie what they think it should be. No, it is what it is. And that's it. You accept it. It's funny. That's what I feel about the, uh, the Fast and the Furious franchise. People love them. Like they are not critically acclaimed by anything, but those movies are basically ATM machines for the studios. They make money because action is the number one genre in the world because it's action. You don't need language. (laughs) You don't need talking. People understand explosions. Explosions are universal. So, or fighting or kicking or whatever. It's a, everybody understands that, which is why it does so well. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to dive into the actual craft of screenwriting. But before that, we would like to give a very special thank you to the M2 Productions who are graciously hosting today for this recording. This is Howard Brand with the Cinema Pathway Podcast. We'll be right back. 
are back. Today I am joined by screenwriter Rolando Vinas. Contrary to the way it may be portrayed in movies and TV shows, screenwriting, it's not as simple as just opening a blank word document or if you go back even further, sticking a blank piece of paper into a typewriter, you know, in the top left corner, you write fade in and then just start writing the story. There's a lot that goes into a screenplay before you even begin to write dialogue or scene descriptions and start actually writing the actual piece. Can you talk about how does or how should the process of writing a screenplay start? I would say it starts with the idea. And it's not just an idea, but the concept. Sometimes writers may want to just start writing an idea that comes to them because they think it's amazing. But what they don't realize is that there are 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 other writers out there writing the same type of script that they're thinking about. You know, so I I would say testing out the concept is maybe one of the things that can benefit a writer and help them to determine whether or not to invest the time in writing this idea. How do they do that? Do they just look up the concept on Google? Do they talk to people that they know? I would say uh, once they come up with, let's say, an idea. And they just kind of call up a couple people they know, or maybe just talk to a couple strangers, just ask them like, hey, can I pitch something to you real quick? And just kind of gauge their reaction. Because someone might be nice and say, oh, that's a great idea. But their initial reaction will tell the truth. You have to look at their face or listen over the phone. They'll be like, hmm, oh, wow. Oh, hmm. It's that those, if you hear that, you might be onto something. So you've gotten um, positive feedback. You're feeling good about the concept. What should they do next? I would say start thinking about the important components of this idea. Why are you writing this? What is the theme? Uh, And the theme is basically a statement. What statement are you trying to make uh, from a message standpoint? Um, Let's say if the theme is love conquers all. Okay, well, you at least have somewhere to go with it. Now, there could be multiple themes. So I I would probably start there. Then you start thinking about maybe uh, your characters, not necessarily character bios. Uh, I mean, if it helps you, great. If you think in terms of um, characters' attributes, that can help you get a better sense of who the characters are. You know, but character bios are fine. Just uh, I don't necessarily subscribe to them completely because I think along the way you will discover things about your characters especially during the rewrites that you don't to me the first draft is it's giving you a sense of what the story could be but it's not the completed story you're gonna figure things out and then i would say uh I think it's wise to think about some scenes that you maybe in your mind you envision that you think would be kind of cool. That you'd be like, oh, I wish there was a scene about this. And I envision this scene. This would be a very uh, emotional or impactful moment. So you start maybe jotting down a few scenes that you think could be effective. I like that because then it. what's the outcome of this that's going to lead to this other scene. And it's not really to do it in order. It's just kind of just thinking about just cinematically, what are some impactful moments or, or scenes that you think uh, would be relevant to your story? And uh, doing a plot point outline could help you to at least navigate okay, well, what are some of the turning points that can happen in the story? Not every writer can do that. I had uh, heard many years ago, and I kind of think it's true. You're either a plot writer or a character writer. And so if you're a character writer, plot may not be the most, uh, it's probably the weak part of your writing. If you're a plot writer, probably character is a little uh, on the weak side. So you just have to strengthen that muscle. But you could just jump in too. I mean, there's no wrong or right way to do it as long as it's effective and it works for you. Because if you just jump in and write, but you stop midway and you get stuck, then that may not be the best approach for you. You may want to consider outlining. Outlining to me helps to think about the different aspects of your story that involve the craft. For example, setups and payoffs, reveals, twists, where you can inject theme into your story or incorporate it. If you have an outline, it's a lot easier to fix an outline that might be 15, 20, 25 pages long than a script that's 100 or 110 pages long. So if you fix it on the front end, it makes the process easier later. But again, if outlining is not your thing and you just want to go in and write and you're able to write from beginning to end without needing an outline, that's fine too. 
One of the things that I haven't done a lot of writing, but I've done a lot of telling the story of this company or, or this and that. And one thing that I found always works for me is uh, I keep asking myself the so what question. It's like, tell something, Johnny went to the store. What's like the payoff? Like, what's the purpose of what's going on? What are, what are the intents that are happening? Wait, are you saying say so what to determine what is important in a scene or what happens after a scene? A little bit of both. Okay. I'd say, uh, I'd say more like what is the essence of the scene? What is that you're trying to get out of the scene? And then if you're trying to think of what the next scene should be, you should be asking, therefore, if this is happening, therefore, this will happen. So once you've, you have your characters, you have an outline, some idea with the plot points, do you think someone's ready to start writing? It depends on their skill level. Well, he, here's the thing, right? What will determine whether you'll have some success, uh, or at least um, not success monetarily, I mean, success as a writer uh, is one's understanding of the human condition. I'd say the more you experience life, the more authentic you will be as a writer. If you don't put yourself out there and have experiences, your characters may not come across as authentic. You know, some might say that, uh, you know, write what you know. I don't necessarily subscribe to that uh, because I don't know what it's like to live in a space station. If I research and I, let's say, interview an astronaut that was on a space station, I can try to gather up as much information as possible to bring authenticity to whatever I'm writing. And so I'd say when it comes to the um, pre-writing stages, research is important. You mentioned the human condition. I probably hear that term four to five times a week. You know, learn about the human condition, study the human condition. Which is very difficult. Exactly. Because you're surrounded by crazy people. That's why I was going to ask, like, you give a pretty good explanation of experiencing life, but what can someone try to do to just understand it? And is it as simple as go to a mall and watch people? When people are out in public, I don't think that they're the same as they are in private. You know, so when they're out in public, they behave a certain way and behind closed doors by themselves, they do cookie things. <laughs> you know, so unless they invite me into their place for me to watch them, that would be a little creepy too. So I wouldn't do that. I think reading up on psychology, just understanding that there are certain things that they you can learn from individuals who've who study. I think what's important is what is the state of mind of the character in the beginning? Are they in a place emotionally for them to be able to grow or change? What is stopping them from growing and changing? A lot of times it's not about the goal. Yes, they're trying to accomplish this goal, but if they're not capable of changing, okay, well, why is that? And so you have to really understanding of the characters comes. I would say the character bios are fine and all, but understanding, okay, there might be a component where, okay, well, if your main character is an orphan, well, psychologically, what would that do to a person? That's why if you watch the movie, The Batman, it's a different take because he is an orphan, but he's, he's a recluse. He doesn't want to deal with anybody. He doesn't want to look at anybody, but that's different compared to all the other previous iterations of Bruce Wayne. It's different. Psychologically, it makes more sense that he's like the Bruce Wayne in the Batman. And so understanding your characters in that way makes a difference. I think of it as your building blocks. Is there a benefit then to writing out a synopsis or even like trying to write a treatment before you start writing the actual screenplay? I believe it would be beneficial for a writer to write a treatment or an outline prior to writing the script. If it helps them as a writer. I have to I have to say that because not there's some writers that they will just go at it and they want to just explore and figure things out along the way. Uh, but personally, me, I would say I would advise a writer to outline or write a treatment. And can you explain, you know, to, to our listeners who, who may not understand? I mean, the treatment is a pretty common word industry. What exactly is a treatment and how it, it's more of a premise and synopsis, but less than a whole screenplay? Well, a treatment should break down the entire story. It's basically an outline, but just written in a more summarized form. Uh, a treatment is written prior to the script being written. So uh, think of it as just um, you're able to present this to, let's say, a producer to say, hey, this is my idea. It's all on here. It's not written as a script yet, but this is the this is exactly what I'm thinking of writing. 
it introduces the world. Everything. No, Story takes place in. Yeah, it's it's like you're yeah you're reading in a few pages. You're reading everything that happens in the movie for the most part. Switching gears a little bit. What are some of the benefits and challenges of writing alone versus um, writing television? These big writing rooms. I haven't written in a writer's room, so I don't know what that experience is like. Um, I mostly write features. I have written with someone once, and I personally did not like it. I did not feel like it was beneficial to me. I felt that the, and that's nothing to say about the the co-writer at the time. He's a pleasant guy, talented. Uh, it's just, I'd rather just write alone because I have my process. And if both writers are at a similar skill level, okay, maybe, yeah. You know, and you're bringing these two brains, merging them so that they're on the page. And there's some duels out there that they write great stuff. Personally, I don't, I don't care for writing with a partner. However, if you are going to write with someone, make sure to create an agreement between you two and, and and you need to kind of think of it as a marriage. If you were going to write with someone, say, for example, someone's thrown together, would you recommend or think that it's best to kind of break up different scenes or you'll have one person write and have the next person come in afterward to that you know one person writes action another person writes dialogue like is there recommended way to to work with other people i'll be honest with you it it just depends on the personalities and the availability of both writers if the writers are available to meet in person i think that that is personally the best way to go because you're able to filibuster (laughs) and discuss certain things and who is going to take charge of certain things and who's going to write what. And those discussions need to be had. If they both have the same goal of writing an awesome script, they should really set ego to the side because if not, it'll sink the entire the entire marriage. That's just, it just complicates things a little bit more. But if you get along with a person creatively, each of you have unique strengths that bring something to the script, then great. I think a challenge beginning screenwriters have, I know I've experienced this with a little bit I've written, is either being too descriptive telling what the director should be directing the actors to do, saying what the actors should be thinking or feeling. How can a beginning screenwriter like strike the right balance? So like when they're writing, should they, is it better to just focus on the dialogue and what the camera sees? Like what should really be the focus of the screenwriter? To not assume that the reader doesn't understand what they're trying to say. What I mean by that is, yes, a lot of times, Newer writers tend to overwrite because they think, well, are they going to understand what I'm saying? And so they overwrite to paint a clear picture, but that really isn't the goal. You want to give the reader, because you're writing for the reader, you're not writing for anyone else. You're writing for whoever's going to read the script and you want to give them enough so that the reader can create their own in their imagination. They're able to see their version of the movie based off of what you're writing. They're not going to see what you see, but if you give them enough information, they will then create in their imagination potentially a version of the movie that they would like to produce based off of what you've written. Is there a trick to writing good dialogue good conversation i'd say if you understand the the characters their attributes what let's say if they're cheery if that's one of their attributes okay well what you'll want to do is in the screenwriting software find just the dialogue for that character and then go through and tweak each line of dialogue so that it's cheery, 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 just trying to at least incorporate that component. That's just like a little trick. Uh, But the truth is listening to conversations, listening to how people talk. One of the big mistakes that newer writers make is that they all, all their characters sound the same. They have no personality, no uniqueness. And that's because they don't really know their characters. I was going to say, it's hard for writers to get out of their own head. And on the other side, what's a trick to writing good scene descriptions, good headers? Well, stylistically, I write more uh, brief, staccato. I'll just, I like to get to the point. I don't like to waste time and write too much scene description. I'll write enough for what is needed for that moment. And that's the thing where it takes time to to master that because you still have to be able to balance it so that you can pull the emotion out of the moment. But the reason to write like that is because a producer or the reader that is working for that producer, they have to read a lot of scripts. And if 
you're writing too much description. You run the risk that the reader is going to stop reading your script and decide, eh, I don't want it. I'm not interested in it. So the less you write, the more they'll read is the saying. I love that. I'm going to remember that. The less they write, the more they read. Great. We're going to take another quick break. And when we come back, we're going to dive more into how you write and what your processes are. But before that, we would like to thank two of our partners that helped make this podcast possible. Cinevideotech, who's been a mainstay of the film industry since 1968, providing equipment, support, and training. And ComTV, who offers consulting and production services for a wide range of entertainment. This is Howard Brand. You're listening to the Cinema Pathway Podcast. We'll be right back. We are back with Rolando Vinyas. Rolando, take us into your personal writing room. You have an idea for a screenplay or someone has come to you um, and asked you to write a screenplay. How does your process begin? Well, similar to what I explained earlier, which is I will open up a document, a Word document, and that'll serve as my Bible. I will put everything in there. The log line, I'll write a brief summary of what I think the story is. Uh, I will uh, create just a list of the characters, what their personality types are, just their emotional states, what's going on with them. You know, just put all the information in there. I'll even go as far as interviewing the characters. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I'll have a free-flowing interview just like this to try to see if I can discover things about the characters themselves. I will do a, a turning point outline just to kind of see what are the moments that are going to shift the story uh, each time. Uh, and then I will start putting together a scene by scene outline where I will write the scene heading and what the essence of the scene is. This is these are the characters. They're doing this. And this is why I'm writing the scene. Like, this is what I want to get out of the scene so that the scene is not a wasted scene. There should never be wasted scenes. Every scene should have a purpose. So, you know, once you have, you know, the idea, the premise, um, when you start creating your characters, I'm sure I'm sure the answer is they come from all over the place. But like, where where do you get your characters from? Are they just things you come up with your mind? Do you look back at people you knew that maybe share a trait or can influence or inspire a character? I'm sure there's a lot of influences. Uh, maybe it's a neighbor, a family member, people that you see on the street. Sometimes I just have like an image in my mind of what this character is. And the, the interesting is they're all faceless. I don't see a face on these characters in my mind. They're just yeah. individuals that are there. And then, and then you know, I just start you know, imagining again what they're you know psychologically who are these people what are their character traits um maybe some little uh nuggets of information that can help to give me a sense uh because that can also help me when i'm introducing the character because that's the other thing how you introduce the character helps to uh, introduce them in such a way where we get to know them as individuals when you start writing how or does it depend on what you're like how descriptive of the character do you get you know do you just get name sex age do you get you know physical description do you get ethnicity specific or do you try to leave it as open for interpretation for the filmmaker as you can rather write let's say for example something personal um how can i say something about them and their choice as opposed to, oh, they're obnoxious or this and the other. I mean, no, a lot of times that's not enough. Uh, it doesn't, because that's that's going to come out in the writing anyway, you know, with their dialogue and their the decisions that they're going to make. I think it depends on, on the character. But my main characters, I try to give a little glimpse, a little taste, a little morsel of what they're like. Like, oh, they're, they're the type of person that they'd be the first at a Krispy Kreme when the first batches out that gives me something yes at least something to hang on to so that it gives me it paints an idea of oh who these individuals are i didn't realize you were writing about me <laughs> you have a favorite character that you've written or most memorable i don't know i, I they're all unique in their own way um i guess i'd i'd say maybe uh nero he's like a teen kid that's uh that was like a, in a slasher film probably sticks out to me the most but uh not, i mean none come to mind really i you know they're all unique in their own way and i don't uh, i guess they're like and i hate this analogy of like oh they're like my babies no they're not my babies they're just characters but they're but they're but they're all unique in their own way and they're you know they're all interesting what type of environment do you like writing in do you like 
being in a, a home office? Do you like being in a coffee shop? Do you like being somewhere resembling the scenery that you're writing about? I'd rather write at home with the first draft. I'm at my desk and I'll play music that can maybe, I don't know, that I can feel feel something as I'm writing. With a, a first draft, I don't, I don't judge myself. I try not to go too, um, too judgmental on it. And so I just listen to music and write and uh, but depending on how I'm feeling that day if I feel like I'm getting a little stir crazy I need to get out okay maybe I'll go somewhere like a coffee shop I know that's very cliche but uh, I'll just go in there and then I'll try to get some work done but I, I'd rather be home to be honest because it's quieter in the, in the sense that I can actually focus do you have a rhythm that you try to s- stick to I'm going to write 30 minutes then take a 5 minute break I'm going to write 20 in that or do you just keep going until you can't go anymore and take a break you Usually what I'll do is I'll take a systematic approach. I'll write maybe five days a week. My goal is to write five pages a day. If I write 25 pages a week, I'll have 100 pages in a month. So I can have a draft of a script in a month. That's if I'm I'm really pushing it. Usually what I'll do is I'll, I'll give myself a couple of months to write it uh, if I'm in no rush. Because I care about more uh, the quality of what I'm putting out. Like I'm really thinking about what I'm going to write next. Uh, so there's with a spec, that's the thing. With a spec, there's no, there's no rush. There's no timetable. You can take all the time in your world. Write quality. Don't write just to rush it. Now, sometimes I like just getting the draft done so that I can begin rewriting it and that's where that's where things can really be elevated and improved after you've written your first draft do you um, give yourself a little bit of a break before you read it again do you have people that you trust to look at your first draft to give you feedback I don't like showing the first draft because it is not the best representation (laughs) of what it will be I'll usually give myself like two to three weeks to just step away from it and then I will go through it. I will print the draft, read it, make notes. And then I will go in and work on the rewrites in stages. So the first pass will be a story pass. And also I'll do a plot pass, which is basically just going through, making sure that the story works really well. And then I'll do a pass for a theme. And then I'll do a pass for the characters. Maybe like pass six or seven would be, let's say, formatting, grammar, you know, fixing how it looks on the page. Once I've done all those passes, I consider that a draft. So it's like, it, it's so think of it as like different layers on a cake. Like you're just doing, going from beginning to end, one layer at a time, one step at a time, taking care of specific things, and then eventually what happens is now the draft is elevated. It's a little bit better than the first draft. And then, you know, I'll show it to a couple people, just a couple, not, not too many, just a couple, just to kind of gauge what they have to say. I mean, I did that recently where I have a thriller, The Only Fan, and, and I sent it to a couple of trusted individuals and they gave me their thoughts or feedback. It was helpful. And then I was able to go and incorporate those into the next draft. What is it about thriller and horror that really drew you to it? It is a legal way to kill people, but I also like the idea of making either a reader or the person in the audience feel uncomfortable. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Like, uh, you know, you know <laughs> making, making it feel uncomfortable. And, you know, it's not, I think people hear horror and just think slash or gore and thriller. Nice. Yeah. I mean, thriller, you know, you think more psychological. Yeah. With A24, they uh, seem to be coming out with uh, these art house elevated horror movies. I like showing how flawed humanity is. I like to explore the underbelly of humanity, you know, where it's um, not the pretty side of humanity and that put in the right, the right scenario, you can get uh individuals who are quote-unquote good people uh, to do very bad things. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I enjoy movies like that too. I enjoy especially paradoxes. The cop who's supposed to be the good guy but really isn't that good. The bad guy who good person but but a bad thing. And it it turns things on their heads a lot of time. And I like the idea uh, making an audience uncomfortable. That's something that I'm going to be, I'm acting in, in a film 
coming up and my role, I want to be as disgusting and make the audiences uncomfortable. Repulsed. Repulsed. <laughs> yeah. Like I want my mother to turn to me and be like, that's not how I raised you. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know. It's just, um, it's just fun to me. I mean, even during Halloween, scaring little children, that was fun. <laughs> you mentioned, you know, E.T., first movie. Um, is there a thriller or a horror that really impacted you, influenced you? You know, I love David Fincher movies. Uh, I think he's, he, he does them really well. But even movies like uh, The Talented Mr. Ripley. It's a long movie. You would never think it's a thriller, but it is. It's a, it's a slow burn, but it's excellent. The Game oh. with Michael Douglas. I love that movie. There's a laundry list of thrillers that I love. I mean, of course. I mean, you have, I mean, Alfred Hitchcock. You have to mention him because he was a pioneer with that. Right. So yeah, I just appreciate the tension that you feel. And then it's that release of the tension afterwards. Once it all passes, uh, it's that feeling. I love it. I was thinking recently about the Blair Witch Project. It came out 25 years ago and is really one of the first that use like internet viral marketing. And, and I mean, I I remember the, not just the online debates, but like people getting into physical altercations over the argument, it's real. No, it's not real. It's real. That was probably a shift a little bit just in how to approach that genre, that kind of, that, and they've done that like with paranormal activity, you know, is it real? Is it fake type of stuff? What do you, what do you think? Like, are those, those are kind of things you're interested in or do you want to stay more um, the idea of like, you know, it's a movie, you know, you're not trying to make it real and you're, but it's a, uh, it's still this world you've created. But are you referring to the marketing aspects? Because you mentioned the marketing. Yeah. I'd say for any writer out there, the more that you understand the business and the needs of the producer, it's going to help your chances because the producer has to think about the marketing and distribution of these things. The thing that the writer can do to help themselves is to come up with a great concept because there's nothing more marketable. That is the power of the writer to be able to come up with something that is mind blowing. Unfortunately, <laughs> only 2% and that's most producers would say 2% of the scripts that are sent to producers at a stage producible. That means 98% of the scripts that are sent to Hollywood or any other producer are not very good. Actually, that's a good segue. Uh, you mentioned the business part of it. Have you written any screenplays that get acquired by X studio and then produced and you watch the finished project and you're able to say, wow, they stayed really true to my screenplay or the opposite, like, wow, they really changed up everything. Now, look, I once something is written, I give it to them. You do with it what you will. It's your thing now. I did my job. It's going to change. It is inevitable. I've accepted that. I do not take it personally. Uh, to me, filmmaking is uh, alchemy. You have a lot of things going on. Uh, you have the producer, director, DP, all these people, the talent, everyone. I mean, there's a reason why the producer gets the Best Picture Academy Award <laughs> because they're the ones that assembled all these things and made it happen. I'm just a part of the process and whatever I could do to help further the process and help them get to their goals, great. Uh, but I... I don't attach myself like that where I'm, you know, worried about whether a thing will change. And usually it just changes. You just see that you, you're seeing their interpretation of what you've written. That's all you're seeing. And some of it is there that you wrote and some of it is not. Have any of the thrillers or horrors that you've written, would you say, were truly or even moderately like inspired by real events? No. <laughs> not not at all. But I I see certain things about society that are terrifying. And I try to figure out, well, how can I, if there's something that is really popular in the culture right now, I try to figure out, well, how can I take that and turn it and spin it so that it is terrifying to kind of have that Jaws feel where don't go in the ocean. You're going to, that, that movie terrified a lot of people. They did not go to the beach that summer. Okay. And so if I can have that type of impact with my writing, or at least, it, you know, should it get produced and 
scare people into doing a thing a thing that they want to do badly but they know that it may it just comes up in the back of their mind oh but that movie was about this thing and i don't i don't think i want to do it anymore mm-hmm. i want them to pause and think about my movie i still have a worldwide agreement with the shark population that uh i don't go in their house they don't come into mine is there anything like that that comes to top of mind that idea that you really want to explore something that you know an idea you've been thinking of or something that is I, I joke with people that um, I've never seen the John Wick movies because I can't get past the first five minutes when they kill his dog. Like, dog dies that. I mean, watching children getting killed, Anakin Skywalker slaughtering all the pet. I'm, I'm fine with that. Um, but like, just anything that you really want to just like dissect and really show something you haven't done before. I think right now there's a project that I'm I'm developing that is uh, more of a modern take uh, on Dracula. But um, no, I mean, I, I have a few ideas, a few. There's no, there's nothing that I have yet to explore yet that has grabbed me that I am hesitant or pausing as far as, uh, you know, trying to determine whether or not I'm going to write it or not. Usually I just know right away. I have to get excited about the concept. I have to get excited about the possibilities of it getting made. I envision not a poster, but I kind of envision this, this thing being like at the very end of the process, because since I I've produced at least i have a a sense of okay well how this could potentially get made because who knows maybe i'll produce what i'm writing i always think in terms of what is the most marketable thing that i can write that i get excited about and that's i, I never know what that is you never know what it's going to be until it hits you interesting great stuff we're going to take one more quick break and we will be right back to conclude this episode to our listeners if you enjoy listening to our podcast please support us by subscribing to the cinema pathway podcast on your favorite podcast platform and giving us a rating and then head over to our online store at paradoxicalfilms.com forward slash shop where you can purchase cinema pathway gear including t-shirts hoodies stickers and more last of all be sure to also follow us on instagram at cinema underscore pathway underscore podcast for behind the scenes photos and more we'll be right back I'm Howard Brand, and we are talking today with screenwriter Rolando Vinas. Rolando, you shared some great information with us, a lot of tips, a lot of tricks, a lot of um, just really strong knowledge that a, uh, an aspiring screenwriter or even a current screenwriter can use and apply in their craft. Are you working on anything right now that you can share with us? Well, there is a horror that I wrote or I was hired to write for um, Alex Cohen is supposed to be released uh, probably the second half of this year, hopefully titled Stay Safe. And then I have two spec projects that I'm working on. But uh, always make time for producers who need writers for writing assignments. So I am available. Is there any advice you would give to someone who wants to either just take a shot at writing a screenplay or seriously wants to pursue it as a career? Well, I mean, uh, reading screenplays helps. You know, don't fall into the trap of buying and collecting screenwriting how-to books because <laughs> I think that they all kind of say the same thing. There are a couple of good books, but don't use those books as a crutch. The truth is you just have to write and be okay with making mistakes. Understand that when you're starting off, whatever you're going to write is going to be terrible, right? So just embrace it, accept it, understand that that's just part of the process. It's not going to be pretty in the beginning and then just write the next one and then write another one. And then write another one. Before you know it, you've written a slew of scripts and you've improved along the way. That's probably the best advice. Do producers contact you directly or do they work through, do you have a a literary agent? Uh, No, they'll contact me usually through LinkedIn, uh, once in a while through Facebook, but usually LinkedIn. uh, They'll reach out to me and, and kind of say, hey, I have this script. I need revisions or I need a polish or, oh, I, I need a script written from a concept that I have. You've obviously have, have worked hard. You've written a lot to be able to have producers come to you. How can someone starting out get their work in front of someone? I would say... If you've written a script and it's worth showing, that's the key phrase here, worth showing, you know, then what you want to do is you want to pitch it to producers, uh, usually through query letters or query email, kind of basically saying, hey, I have a project. This is what it's about. 
If you're interested in reading the script, let me know. Just understand that most producers don't necessarily option and buy scripts. So you need to look at your scripts as calling cards, writing samples to show producers what you're able to write so that they hire you for their projects. And I'm sure it depends on the person. Is it worth it to uh, enter it in screenplay contests just to like get it out there? It's beneficial if it's the top tier screenwriting competitions like Blue Cat, Page, uh, I think um, uh, South by Southwest. I mean, there are a few. If you go to uh, moviebytes.com, you're able to see every single screenwriting competition that exists and they're rated. So you're actually able to see the history, how long they've been around and whether they have a good reputation or not. Uh, but there are a few, there's a handful that are worth entering. I would, uh, if locally in your city, if there's a film festival that has a screenwriting uh, contest uh, affiliated with a film festival, submit it, see what happens. And that might allow for an opportunity to network with local filmmakers uh, or individuals who are at the festival. I once participated, it was a screenwriting competition. It was the uh, 24 hour, 48 hour screenwriting competition where they give you a, um, like a genre, a character and, and an object. And you have like 24, 48 hours to write a, an original screenplay. And uh, I found it worthwhile just to, um, to practice, to be un- under a constraint. And uh, you know, I, I didn't make it past the first round, but it, it was still fun, fun to do. Uh, are things like that worthwhile just to like get practice? Not if you're a writer, because okay. you're under a lot of pressure. And if you're new to writing, you're not necessarily going to be able to put out the best quality writing when you're under pressure where you have to write a script in three hours. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I don't think it, it's good from a craft standpoint. Now, if you are new and you want to net work and meet other filmmakers who are at your level and you want to do it as a hobby just to challenge yourself great but i don't necessarily see how it can be beneficial from a career standpoint one thing you said before is uh one thing you would not recommend is buying every screenwriting book that exists and you said that there are some good ones is there one or two that you would recommend or is there whether it's an online resource or something that you think is a good place for beginners to go to just to learn I'd say, um, you know, the, the screenwriter's Bible is good because you're getting like six books in one. So you're getting the biggest bang for your buck there. Uh, Bob Science has a book. Uh, that's not how it works. You know, th- I think that that's a pretty good book. You mentioned earlier that uh, you would not recommend an aspiring screenwriter just go out and buy every screenwriting book that exists. But there are a couple, uh, you know, one or two that may be good. Uh, can you talk about what maybe you would recommend? There's uh, the screenwriter's Bible is pretty good in the sense that if you're starting off. There's a plethora of information in there that can be very useful to a newer writer. It's a pretty good resource. Uh, another one is That's Not How It Works by Bob Science. That's pretty good. Even William Martell, he's uh, he's a screenwriter who has written quite a bit and he has his um, his books on Amazon. He puts them out himself and, and those are pretty good. Uh, and Bob Science is a working writer as well. So to me, I feel if you're going to get a book, get it, get the book from from someone who is a working writer in the business who has done it as opposed to someone who is putting out these philosophies or ideas about screenwriting and they've never sold a script or they've never written anything for any producer at all. So just keep that in mind. And talking about the business, understanding the business can increase your chances of being a successful screenwriter, at least getting people to see your screenplays. And you know, we've talked all episode about the writing part the dialogue part about it. Um, how important is proper format when it's going to be read in front of a producer? You know, if they see something not format a writer, are they just going to toss it? I think a producer is driven more by a, a concept that they can get by understand that they have to invest two to three years in this project and they need to get excited about it or feel that it is going to do well potentially and and pay back the investors and so to me i would say i I would think that a producer would prefer a script that isn't written well but has an amazing concept as opposed to a well-written script that has a subpar concept. And so because a producer can always hire a writer to fix the script, but you can't 
necessarily hire a writer to come in and fix a concept for an entire script. Uh, that's a lot more work. Uh, but to answer your question about formatting, formatting is important for the purposes of clarity and making sure that the reader understands what is happening. Uh, there are times when I've read a script and it's not formatted correctly and I have to go back and say, wait a second, is this a flashback? I don't understand. When did the flashback end? And because it's not formatted correctly and you're not letting the reader know that the flashback has ended, now you're confusing everybody. They think the entire movie is a flashback. It wasn't. It was. Just, it was, should have been just a couple of scenes. Also, the way a script is formatted will also convey to the reader or the producer the level of expertise that that writer has and if they don't necessarily incorporate the necessary components for it to look professional on the page they might hesitate i don't say they will they might hesitate to work with that writer because they want to know that they're dealing with a professional if they need that writer to work on revisions the reason i i brought that up is you know talking about books for all that and you mentioned something about you know not necessarily the philosophy of screenwriting the most useless book I have in my library about screenwriting is actually all about formatting. You know, how to properly format and all that. And I have tabs and everything. So when I'm going to something, if I'm writing about something that I haven't done in a while, being able to just back is like, oh, that's how you write that flashback inside the car that's being looked at from somebody outside through a telephoto lens. Just crazy. Yeah, it's, it's a resource. Yeah. That's all it is. Yeah. That, you know, they, they're, that happens to me too. Or sometimes I want to write a thing, but I'm like, wait a second, how do I write this correctly? And so I'll just read research it a little bit to make sure that when the reader's reading it, they understand what it is that I'm trying to convey. Where can our listeners either follow you on social media or connect with you or just learn more about you? They could just search for me on Facebook, Rolando Vinas, and Facebook and LinkedIn. I mean, those are the two main ones that I would communicate with individuals. Uh, from a professional standpoint, I prefer LinkedIn. If you're a producer, I don't add people that are trying to connect with me, just anybody. I'm very selective uh, because to me, I just see LinkedIn as more professional and I want to be able to connect with people in the industry, producers, individuals who can actually, uh, that I can work with. Uh, Facebook is more from a social standpoint. Yeah, maybe, I mean, some individuals hit me up from a business standpoint to try to hit me up. But uh, if, if you're not a producer, hit me up on Facebook. If you're a producer, hit me up on both or LinkedIn. What does your future look like? Writing, uh, I... Uh, Hopefully, uh, the Powerball one day, that would be nice. Um, no, but all kidding aside, I'd like to, um, in the next year or so, uh, jump into directing, uh, test those waters. With Stay Safe coming out, hopefully by the end of this year, I'll be using that as an opportunity to market myself to other producers to let them know, hey, this movie's coming out. Do you need some revisions? Do you need a polish? You know, I'll use that and then also elevate uh, the level of budget to the productions that I'm writing for, I can see that potentially being the case. Do you want to direct what you wrote or do you want to try directing something somebody else wrote? I know I'm a writer. I'd rather see in my head already. I might as well. But uh, I have some um, colleagues of mine that they've already expressed that they would be interested in, in working with me. And so as long as I keep it to, you know, reasonable five pages, I won't take up too much of their time. I can maybe just use them for one day and they're out, hopefully. You're a lifelong Floridian, as we talked about, born and bred here, lived here your whole life. You've seen the ups and downs of the film industry in Florida. Do you think it's ever going to come back around again? No. Could you expand on that? The thing is that the political climate in the state is not necessarily going to allow for incentives to come back. So unless that changes, I don't believe it will happen. However, what I'd say is that incentives are not necessarily beneficial to independent artists. Uh, yes, if, you if you're working with budgets north of a million dollars, yes, you'll reap the benefits. But if not, which is most indie filmmakers, it won't benefit you. Not to mention that if we had incentives, I'm not saying I'm not for or against incentives. I, I, I want to make that very clear. But there is a, a bit of a downside to incentives because incentives mostly benefit, if not the producers, incentivizes uh, or helps or benefits uh, below the line. And so as a writer, it wouldn't benefit me necessarily because the decisions are being made in California, maybe New York, and as far as, uh, you know, screenwriters writing stuff, because that that's the, the, the point of contact 
where decisions get made. And then they come here to take advantage of the tax breaks. And so if all the crews are being gobbled up by the big productions, that means that the rates for the indie projects have to go up because of supply and demand. So look, there's good and bad, but no, I I don't see it coming back. And then to just further the point, or at least mention this as well, I think that that one of the issues with, especially with South Florida, is that there really aren't a lot of screen writers. I really don't know that many. I can maybe count three or four that I know of who are active screenwriters who are working, they're getting things done. Instead, it's um, it's a it's a very tribal town. Everybody is in their little clans and they'll work with the people within their circle, but nobody seems to be uh, working together. And that creates a problem. Uh, also, the, the writers are the ones with the ideas, but if you don't have any real writers, I'm not talking about writers that are hobbyists, or not, I'm talking about working writers creating these ideas, there are no quality ideas that are elevating things for everyone to have to uh, to attract the creatives to come here. So if we want to make it enticing, I guess, for individuals to come here to maybe to have incentives, well, we need to give them a reason. And it starts with the storytelling and the writing. If that can elevate and just and we're writing at such a great quality, that's going to attract talented people from all over the globe to just come here to work with those individuals. Rolando, thank you so much for being here today. Uh, really appreciate your uh, advice on screenwriting, your anecdotes, your little tips that you gave. We are happy to welcome you back on the podcast in the future, whenever you like to. And uh, best of luck. Thank you. To our listeners, thank you again for joining us on the Cinema Pathway podcast today. I'm your host, Howard Brand. Our director is Miguel Miller. Our producer is Juliette Desan, along with associate producer, Victor Ferreira and executive producer Freddie R. Rodriguez. This has been a presentation of Paradoxical Films. Please visit our website at www.paradoxicalfilms.com for more information about today's podcast. You can also email us at cinemapathway at paradoxicalfilms.com where you can send any comments, suggestions, or feedback for future episodes. Be sure to subscribe to the Cinema Pathway podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Be sure to join us for our next episode where we will continue to talk about the craft of filmmaking right here on the Cinema Pathway podcast. This is the Cinema Pathway podcast. We'll see you next time. Lights out.